Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Happy Tuesday, everyone. So glad that you're here, and it is worth celebrating the fact that it is Tuesday for two reasons. First of all, you survived Monday. Yep, usually the hardest day of the week for folks. You know, you start getting that Sunday evening work anxiety, as I like to call it. And, uh, you know, you get all stressed about about kicking off the new week of work, yada, yada. You know the drill. Well, we're through that. Here we are. Second day of the week. We can do this. But the other reason it's worth celebrating is because you've survived the first Monday of the new year of 2022. Happy New Year, everyone, and hope you haven't blown any of your New Year's resolutions yet. Um, I have made a few resolutions myself. You'll hear about those as they pertain to uh, hunting in the next episode which is a hunt therapy episode. Good old Brandon and Alex were able to join me on that. We really got to get Jake back on the, on the show. Uh, we will one of these days. He's been super busy traveling and all that. So uh, anyways, you'll hear more about my New Year's resolutions in the next episode. But hopefully you've made a few for yourself as well. And if one of your New Year's resolutions was to cut off a few LBs, such as myself... Hey, got to keep up with old Alex Gruen on the mountainside when we go on our uh, black bear hunt in Montana uh, this this coming summer. You know, I have a I just have a feeling that Alex. I don't think he played football. I think he was a soccer guy. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I just have a feeling that you know, like your very first day of football when you're like in middle school or whatever, and all the coaches are like, you know, everyone's standing like this this big you know pile of people and uh the coaches are like looking at everybody and and they're you know like all your like small friends are standing there by you and uh they'd be like all right timmy you go over there with the running backs johnny you're a wide receiver um billy you're gonna be with the quarterbacks and then they get to you if you can relate to me and they get to you and they're like you my case kent go with the line, right? You're playing line, right? I was a career lineman. And uh, <laughs> that being said, I really think that that Alex probably would have been with the, you know, fancy pants skills position guys, you know, the one catching all the touchdowns. And I was over there with the guys blocking for the, the skills guys, right? And so I'm already at maybe a physical disadvantage. However, we linemen, we're in it for the long haul too, right? We, we're good at endurance. We get hit every single play, all that, right? Because we're blocking and everything else. But I got to represent us fellow linemen body type people well when I'm out there on the mountains. So I'm trying to, to slim down a little bit and, you know, get in a little bit better physical shape. Been working hard at that already. And uh, uh, I say all this. Because in this episode, we are interviewing a fantastic wild game chef in Mr. Mike Reber. One of the things I love about this show, here we are. I just said we're kicking off 2022. This is the first episode of the First Gen Hunter podcast in the year 2022. And what I love about that is that a year and a half later, 
look at all the topics we've been able to cover within the world of hunting. You know, we've, we've danced all over the, the place with the topics. And this one would go back to the food, which is, is really the, the joy, the, the total culmination of, uh, you know, being successful in the field. And so Mike is going to talk about um, some things that he has going on, some philosophies behind why he does what he does, a little bit of background as far as he goes as a hunter. I'm going to let you know a little secret. This is what I love the most about Mike. He's a he's an avid shed hunter. Yeah, total stud, right? Uh, shed hunters. <laughs> but um, no, he's uh, he, he gives us a tremendous interview and he talks about some delicious food that, that he makes. And if you follow him on Instagram, as you'll hear how to at the end of this episode, it might make it a little bit challenging for you to keep up with that uh, that New Year's resolution. And here's the deal, though. Most of the things Mike makes are quite healthy and would be very good for you so you can kind of look at what he's doing super easy to talk to you guys so i'm sure if you find him send him a message hey ask him for a recipe or some advice on something i'm sure he'd be happy to help you out there and uh man does he make that wild game look really good which is something we should aspire to right there's nothing wrong with doing the same old recipes all the time but i really think that uh, we kind of miss out if we aren't willing to branch out a little bit and each time we do and we find something new that's delicious i think that we are making we are we are truly maximizing uh, what that animal gave us, right? Makes no difference to them probably. Although I figure, you know, if, if I was being eaten by somebody and I found out that they went to all the lengths to make sure that my back straps tasted really good, um, then I think I'd probably be like, you know what? If I got to be eaten by somebody, that person, well, hopefully not a person that's cannibalism and is, uh, you know, not really looked highly upon, but, uh, if we'll say a grizzly was eating me and he was cooking me up perfectly i would be like you know what that's the grizzly i wanted to be eaten by if i had to be eaten by a grizzly so i don't know what kind of ethic (laughs) get called into that or what kind of philosophical position that may be but when we learn how to take the game that we get the meat that we get from the game and uh try new things with it i think that that it is only a positive thing. So Mike's going to help us with that. Here we are, episode 77. Before I start saying any more bizarre, weird stuff about people eating other people, let's get into it here. Episode 77 on the First Gen Hunter podcast. Thank you, each and every one of you, for listening in. Hope you enjoy it and hope you get some new ideas. is live in texas not really that's actually totally untrue and i got to be careful about talking about that topic too much or you know my wife might listen in get a little upset with me or you know my guest here mr mike reber from texas who is the real (laughs) deal who is truly from texas uh might get a little weirded out by me singing about exes from texas that do not exist so let's talk about the thing that is real that is mr mike reber giving us some time coming all the way in over the internet that great thing that connects the world sometimes not so great but great in this case all the way from texas to talk to us about hunting both game and sheds and uh then what do you do with it after you got it which is the food part of it and uh 
man, I'm excited for this because uh, it, you guys know me well enough that I've been listening to the show long enough that it was the sheds. I'll admit it was the sheds that drew me in to find Mike. And uh, then once I started following Mike, I started seeing all this food he was posting and uh, man, it was downright inspirational. In fact, to the point, Mike, I haven't told you yet, but uh, you were a topic of conversation around the dinner table last night because uh, a really good friend of mine, a guy that I've done a lot of hunting with, uh, Mr. Luke Fritch, uh, drove all the way across uh, half of the state of Iowa to come visit me yesterday with his family. And uh, we had this delicious salmon with... Um, uh, my wife makes this really good, uh, like seafood stuffing that she puts on top of the salmon. Uh, she used to work at a uh, seafood restaurant in a, in her uh, kind of like high school through college years. She picked it up there, and and uh, what we had as a side with that were some roasted. Um, I guess you. I mean, they aren't technically vegetables. You know, I'm a I'm a science teacher here, so it kind of bugs me to say vegetables, but potatoes and sweet potatoes and carrots and roasted radishes. Something, I like it. <laughs> something, I like it. Something that I have <laughs> never seen or heard of until I saw on your Instagram page that you roasted some radishes and everyone was astounded at the taste. And um, it's very timely because my uh, in-laws are, you know, at least some of them, I think, are on the road today, and uh, some will be flying in tomorrow. They are foodies, and uh, it's not often that me being from, you know, the Midwest where, you know, our state fair, we like deep fry Twinkies and Coca-Cola that we have. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I don't have too many refined options to put before them that they haven't seen before. And uh, I am looking forward to uh, treating them to some roasted radishes. So uh, <laughs> you ready? You've already right had on. a positive effect on my family, Mike. <laughs> Glad to hear it. <laughs> but no, we are we are uh, super excited to have you here on the show. You know, I, I just said we. I've noticed as I edit these podcasts, I say we way too much, and I do not have some kind of split personality disorder that I'm aware of, um, that we're aware of. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> normally, my co-host Brandon would be here, and I didn't even bother with asking Brandon today because right now, as a teacher, I'm on Christmas break. I know that the average person is not available to do a podcast at uh, roughly 8.30 on uh, 8.30 in the morning. And uh, I figured, you know what, I'm not going to put that stress on Brandon's plate. I know he's been going through through a lot of uh, health issues and, and uh, mm-hmm. extra work hours lately. So uh, it's truly just me, me and Mike talking today uh, on this one. But um, uh, I think that at the end of this, everyone's going to want to go follow Mike because he's got a lot of cool stuff going on. And uh, that's what we want to dig into here. So let's just start right off the bat with uh, Texas. And, um, you know, Texas is kind of a, 
almost a country within a country, really. I mean, there's there's like a a different culture there, and I can only sense it. I have not been to Texas. I've been to like 37 of the 50 states, and Texas is one of those 13 that I have not yet made it to. And uh, but my brother was down there for a while. Uh, he's in the military, and uh, he was he was uh, doing a bunch of training, and he has to go back on occasion to San Antonio. And um, in high school, my two best friends are twin brothers our sophomore year they moved to lavernia texas uh, which is kind of san antonio area i believe and um so i've i've kind of gotten through them an idea of what culture's like and then of course you know in the age of social media and and uh youtube and everything else you can, you can watch videos of people hunting there or follow people like mike who hunt there and and get you just get this idea that it's a it's a different it's it's a way different um almost like a subculture that kind of, and and probably even within the state there's, I would, it's such a huge state that, uh, you know, what goes on in East Texas is a little bit different than what goes on in West Texas. Uh, what, is that an accurate or am I totally off the, off the rails here with my, uh, uh, you're spot on. East Texas <laughs> and West Texas are totally different. South Texas and North Texas couldn't be op- more opposite from one another. Uh, I mean, yeah, hunting is definitely part of most people's lives here. Um, and that and that's one of the most wonderful things about living here. Um, you're, you're certainly among a lot of like-minded people when it comes to that. You know, I'm from uh, New England originally, so that's uh, you know a little different up there. Um, yeah. But moving down here, it's uh, yeah, hunting. Hunting is just what you do. So, if you're a hunter, <laughs> moving to Texas is a great place to be. <laughs> that's that's good to know. And uh, you know, that's kind of interesting to have that dynamic going from New England to to Texas because. Um, I do know New England quite well. That's where my wife is from, and I've I've made oh probably over a dozen, yeah, well over a dozen trips up that way in my life, and have spent you know a lot of days getting to uh, know what New England's like. It's an awesome place, uh, but it seems very different in many ways. But you know, she is from New Hampshire, and uh, I think if you had to say, is there a, if there was a Texas? of new england it would probably be new hampshire you know the whole live free or die mantra that they have up there <laughs> totally <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like a pretty patriotic place which uh is the lone star state as well and uh so it's it's a uh, it's kind of a cool dynamic there that you have unfolding in your own life and your own experiences but you know when you you mentioned it there that strong culture of hunting in texas I kind of want to do a deep dive on this just a little bit here. Um, a few years ago, I was listening to a an interview with a guy that's been on this show, actually, uh, Mr. Dan Johnson of the Nine Finger Chronicles and Sportsman's Nation Network. Uh, he was invited down to a, a just a giant ranch in Texas to do some hunting. And, uh, you know, here in Iowa, we have... I, I would not call them ranches. I would call them farms, but we have 
what you would call a game farm here in Iowa where you can, I mean, probably the most common one people would go to around here would be like pheasants. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you can hunt pheasants in, you know, like April if you wanted to on on those farms. And so there's some, there's a lot of hardcore bird hunters here in in Iowa. Um, And so that's where most people go, but you also have a few um, that maybe have, like uh some boar hunts or even some elk or uh um you know some different exotics even maybe some fallow deer or or uh you know uh maybe uh uh some some critters from other continents or 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 whatever you know you could you could uh find a few of those around here but it the the style that those farms are around here you know you're talking high fence around you know, maybe 200, uh, to maybe a a really big one here would probably be a 500 acre farm, but just because land in Iowa is incredibly valuable for ag use, not for sure. I mean, you have, you can have people that that have some pretty big guiding outfits because we do have big whitetails here, but, but you're just not going to see them like that. And then, so this guy, Dan Johnson, he, got invited and he's from Iowa down to Texas to do one of these, these ranch hunts. And, uh, he was, he, he did this excellent, um, podcast just discussing this. He, he talked about, in fact, I need to, uh, I'll try and uh, find this and maybe do a post about it later. Just so anyone listening can, uh, kind of check out what Dan had to say about, it. but I thought he just did a really nice job covering this. And uh, he said, when I got invited, I was a little bit apprehensive because, you know, I assume this. He's probably working from the context of what I would be here as an Iowan seeing what our game farms are here. And I'm not saying that anybody doing this, hunting at those places is wrong. It's legal, right? And uh, and they're paying for it. And and uh, it's a way for those people to make money that, that host that. Uh, but it's a very, he said, it's a very different thing that what he had in mind as to what goes on in Texas. And a lot of it has to do with the amount of private land versus public land that's available. And um, he talked about how it's kind of the only option uh, in a lot of Texas uh, to hunt is to go on these. And now here's the key difference ranches and he talked about how vast these ranches are you're talking many thousands of acres of ground that these animals are living on and so it is not this situation of of someone slapping a big buck on the rear end and you know cutting them loose out of a a cattle chute or something like that into Mm a into a you know a a feel the size of your backyard it's it's very much so like a hunt and these animals are spread out and doing normal wild animal things on these huge vast game ranches is that has that been your experience since moving to texas that you've seen that that's the breakdown of land use quite often down there mike yeah yeah absolutely i mean you know my it just to just to kind of circle back on what you were saying as far as you know mindset you know coming from coming from new england my my kind of uh thought initially about high fence ranches in general was probably like you know shooting fish in a barrel mm-hmm. um and 
really couldn't be more opposite. Um, and that's, I'm not just saying that cause I live here. I, I was invited on a hunt, um, you know, when I still lived in, in new England and, and, uh, you know, it was a 25,000 acre ranch, oh. you know, with, with perimeter fencing, um, in South Texas. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yes, Texas is a massive state. So there are, uh, you know, tracts of land that are, you know, it's not uncommon to see 10,000 acres or 25,000 acres or, you know, something like that scale. Um, and I think, you know, what a lot of people think of when they, when they, you know, are starting to talk about, you know, going to Texas is, you know, seeing these massive deer, you know, and the, well, they must, they must be let right out of a pen. Um, mm. and that really couldn't be the first thing from the truth, um, on the majority of places. I'm sure that, yeah, sure. There's a place here and there that might be like that. And that, yeah, that's what gives the, you know, kind of reputation for the high fence, high fence places out there. But, you know, a lot of places, most places in Texas are, are perimeter fenced, um, which, you know, basically no cross fencing on the interior. So what you're doing is you're, you're effectively, you know, keeping, keeping things in, keeping things out and being able to manage your herd a lot better. Um, and of course, you know, in Texas, as well as a lot of states now across the U S you know, exotic hunting is, is a great thing because we could do that year round here. So yeah. you know, a lot of the exotics, you know, you're able to keep inside, um, versus, you know, a cattle fence or something like that, that was low. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's tons of private land in Texas. Most land in Texas is private. Um, mm. very different from what I was used to up North, which was, right. Hey, you know, which, which state land are we going to hunt today? Right, um, there right. is state land. There is public land to hunt in Texas. Um, you know, it's certainly not as great as it is, you know, in the Midwest or, you know, Western, Western States, you know, you go up to Wyoming or Montana. Um, it's very different there. Um, but yeah, there, there are certainly opportunities for folks that don't have access to, to private land here in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. That's to me, that's, that's one of the best parts of doing this show is just as I branch out to all these different regions of the country, hearing how different they are and, and you're spot on as far as what your experience would be going from new England down to there, because we've had a lot of guys on the show from new England and that's exactly how they hunt. Like you said, you know, what state forest that's, you know, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yep. near a million acres, uh, that are we going to go hunt? And whereas that, that's just not going to be the case down, down in Texas. So yeah, that's, uh, that is, I think some, an example of how we as a hunting community need to take the time to have these types of conversations because we can just write each other off and say, Oh, that's a high fence deer. Yeah. Well, a high fence deer that he hunted on, on 25,000 acres, right? <laughs> you know, right. Where, whereas, uh, you know, a lot of the, 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 public land here in Iowa is, you know, if you can find a piece that's, that's 500 acres, that's a big piece of public ground here in, in Iowa. So, so, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool that that dynamic is, is what the reality is. And you, you're right about the exotic thing. You know, some people probably look at that as like, well, what are they doing? But it's, it's true. You, now you have something that falls outside of, you know, state management laws and allows you to hunt year round. And, um, uh, for people that just can't get enough of it, that's a pretty good option to be able to have. And, and, uh, you know, if you're then what we're going to get to in this conversation, 
if that's how you're doing your grocery shopping year round, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's pretty awesome too. You know, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a, a good way to be a part of the the process of knowing what it is that's going into your refrigerator and eventually into your body. So uh, I think it's a, I think it's a really cool, you know, kind of niche section of, of uh, hunting here in America and the freedoms that we get to enjoy. You know, it's just part of that whole unique ball of wax that goes together. That is American hunting. So pretty cool. Yeah. And I think you'll see a lot more exotic hunting, you know, in the next couple of years, moving into some other states. I mean, Texas is certainly one of the one of the largest for it. Um, but I, I do think just because the popularity of it and as you said, you know, the 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 meat that, you know, you could you could take home with you is fantastic. And I it really opens a lot of opportunity up for folks that, you know, hey, you know, I, I want a deer hunt, you know, in my home state of you know, Pennsylvania or Montana during the year. And I don't have time to come to Texas during that season. Well, you don't have to, you can come down here in May, yeah. you know, and go access hunting. And, and that's, you know, one of the best pieces of venison that you'll ever have. Yeah. I hear that over and over again about access deer, just how, how delicious it is. So good. Yeah. I, I, it's, <laughs> so it's, good. it's on my, it's on my uh, bucket list to get chasing after some access deer at some, t- at some point. But, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's another uh, really good way to put it. And, you know, as you said, exotic hunting spreading to other states in some states it's already there i mean let's go back to what i was just saying mm-hmm. about pheasants pheasants are an exotic species they're from like uh eastern asia i believe is where uh pheasants are originally you know like they're where they're native to and uh, we've been hunting those they've they've been a they've been a an adopted symbol of american hunting <laughs> you know and right. uh they're not even from america and so how much of this is already, you know, being, being, uh, accepted and, and, uh, you know, even, even, uh, in, uh, enjoyed and, uh, promoted. So, um, you know, I think it's really important that we as hunters have an open mind to this, take the time to ask the questions and, and really get a full picture. And that's really, and again, I want to, you know, give a little shout out to Dan there again for being willing to to do that episode and being willing to go down there and, and see what it was all about in Texas. And, and really, uh, he, he, I know he changed my mind when he did that episode and I'm sure he changed the mind of a lot of others. So it's important that we have these conversations, you know, we get more and more divided all the time. It seems in, uh, how we, all choose to do our lives and uh so much of the time is spent shouting at each other and not very little of it's spent actually getting to know each other and trying to find some common ground or at least an understanding that makes sense so especially with hunting you know you see yeah. see you know we're all we're all there to hunt right that's the that's the the common denominator between us all um and it's so it's so sad to see some of the bashing that you see online mm-hmm. you know well that must be a high fenced deer you know hey that's you know that guy paid for you know the the governor's tag to shoot that elk well you know what that's that's his prerogative or their prerogative and yep. um you know we should just be you know happy and grateful for uh, everybody's experience and if that's what makes them happy good for them right 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 yeah we're actually going to address something very similar that's come up recently uh in uh in the hunting world, a pretty polarizing conversation that took place recently. We're going to address that in uh, the next episode of this podcast. Um, But one of the things that the points that I'm going to make in that is the value of people hunting 
is that it connects them to the land that we are made of. You know, it is, it, it helps them see value in something besides just dollar signs, you know, or something besides just owning stuff or having comfort readily available to us. You know, it, it helps you truly get reconnected to our, the most natural part of ourselves. And so um, any way that you can promote that, I think, is is a positive overall. So, uh, yeah, I, I, man, we can get into the weeds here and, and really get, <laughs> get into some hunting philosophy, but we got to keep moving here because there's so many other good things that uh, we got to talk about today. But uh, shed hunting is another big thing and as i alluded to earlier sheds were what originally drew me into uh following mike he i think you uh i'm trying to remember here i think the story was on the original post that i saw you had been um kind of targeting following keeping tabs on a specific buck for several years and eventually he just dropped these incredible antlers and not just size, but like character, just some really gnarly, like a really gnarly set. And it wasn't the story you found one side. It took you a while to match it up, but eventually you matched it up. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there, there was a, a particular buck on the property that I hunt in South Texas and uh, just, you know, like incredible mass. I mean, this, this deer, yeah, we we knew he was special from the from the get go. You know, when you when you'd see him, kind of as a as a two year old deer, you're like, whoa. Yeah, right, <laughs> he had, right. He had some he had some some heavy horns coming out of his head. So, um, yeah, I found I found one, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, um, and I knew you know I knew instantly like, whoa, that's him. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's fun when you pick him up, you know. Because I think you you're able to just appreciate so much more about that particular side of that antler and that right. animal than you might not have known before, right? So I mean, I've I had seen that deer, you know, on the hoof quite a bit, um, but I never knew, you know, that he had, you know, crazy, you know, kind of stickers and all sorts of kind of weird points and things like that. Sure. And, uh, when I picked up that one shed, it was, it was something else. Um, and so that kind of, that was, that was one of them that really, really kind of lit the fire for me for getting after shed hunting so much more. I mean, I think that, I mean, I always did that in, in New England, you know, we, we would go out and walk around and, and it's yeah. different. Right. It's, it's a whole different thing. Um, you're trying to, you're trying to battle the snow during the winter and you know, <laughs> see one popping up and yep. just, just when you think, you know, like the weather's good, you know, you get, you know, the foot of snow dumped on you. And so <laughs> it's a, it's a much different experience down here in Texas. Um, you know, it's last year, the buck started dropping their antlers and about mid February. Um, cause okay. I found one. I found one right around my birthday, which is, uh, right, you know, Valentine's day right down there and the 14th. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, it's nice when they start dropping early, you know, we we're fortunate enough down here in South Texas to not get much snow at all. Last year we got a little, little dose of it, but mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a rare occasion. So, um, yeah, I now have two full sets of, uh, of antler sheds from this one buck. Uh, and he then vanished of course, as they do this year. So, I don't know where he went uh, or what happened to him. Uh, there's some speculation that the freeze 
that we uh, yes. endured here in South Texas and Central Texas. Well, actually, the whole the whole state of Texas. Yeah, last it was it was that was it, something. That was it, really something. We need to talk about that here for in a second. But yeah, yeah, it uh, it was rough on the state, and uh, a lot of the animals, um, you know, it hit them hard for sure. Um, but you know, a lot of speculation on what what that did, you know, to to a lot of the to a lot of the exotics that are not, you know, right. used to a ton of cold things like that. Um, but yeah, this whitetail just vanished on me. So he's uh, <laughs> he'll be on the search for the sheds this year. Oh you know, just yeah, for sure. Still around. I hope he is. Now, did that? I'm trying to remember when that freeze came through. Was that during shed season when that happened? Yeah. So uh, I think it was right around. I think it hit on the 15th or so of February last year. Okay. And so then, when you were shed hunting last year. Assuming that that you had access to some of these ranches to look, were mm-hmm. you finding like carcass after carcass, you know, just as you're so, moving you through? Know, I I didn't, um, and I was I was happy about that because right. I kind of went into it with that mindset, right? And you know, kind of early March, late February, early March, I went into that mindset of like, well, we're going to find some bucks that we were, you know, hoping not to find. And we might find an axis here or an axis there. And I, I didn't find any. And, you know, I, I do know lots of guys down here that, you know, they lost a significant amount of axis or, or black buck antelope. Um, you know, what, what typically a lot of folks do when, when the cold weather comes, you know, they'll, they'll put, you know, giant round bales of hay out um, that'll, that'll help, you know, kind of break up the cold for those, for those animals that, that need sure. a little bit extra. They can know, kind of yeah. shelter up by it and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. But we, yeah, we didn't find any, which we're really lucky about. Um, but that wasn't the case across a lot of the state. That's, uh, that cold snap that lasted about a week. Um, that was, that was the longest that, that I've seen it that cold here. Um, yeah. it, it just doesn't do that here. Right, right. Yeah, what a what a crazy event and you know, it seems like we we have more of those crazy events all the time where you know, you look at the the tornadoes that just tore through uh tore through Kentucky and here in it's Iowa, awful. I don't know if you it's guys awful. saw us on the news. Yeah. We had that another derecho. Uh we had the one back in August of 2020 and then we just had one about a week and a half two weeks ago and uh we had a 75 degree day here in in uh mid-december that just uh you know it's not it's not normal and yeah that, you yeah, know we were 85 here on christmas so <laughs> man wow yeah that's yeah. uh you know the new englander in me is kind of like yeah that's that's not the way it's supposed yeah. to be but <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've uh you know pretty much gotten rid of all my all my heavyweight hunting coats so. <laughs> right right yeah you're you're uninsulated everything probably mm-hmm. but uh no that's that's such a uh such a crazy time and i know beyond just a hunting scope it was uh really disastrous for a lot of folks in texas and you know sometimes we can kind of wash that stuff from our memory but you know there are people that that lost their lives in that and uh uh you know something that's that's uh good to uh keep them in in mind and and remember that you know there's a lot more going on than just in our own neck of the woods that we should we should pay attention to and care about but yeah that's uh that's a fascinating part though of last year's shed season and uh as we look forward to this one you know 
what what kind of uh tips do you have for shed hunting texas i mean it's a totally different habitat like you said you don't have the yarding areas like you probably were looking in in uh, new england and and uh you have i would assume more edge habitat um in texas maybe that's a bad assumption though just because uh you kind of go from one uniform landscape possibly to another but but i would i would assume there's probably a little more edge is that is that accurate yeah you know texas varies so much i mean if you go to east texas you know louisiana border over that way you know you got pine you know pine studded woods over there um, you know, North Texas, you got a lot of plains, uh, West Texas, you got big canyons, central Texas, you have the hill country. And then of course, South Texas, something's going to bite you or stick you. Yeah, right? Right, so it's right. Brush country as it's often referred to. Um, you know, it, it, it really depends where you are, um, down where I shed hunt, which is, which is, uh, South Texas, you know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of black brush and mesquite. Um, okay. we're, we're lucky to have a lot of fields too, um, you know, some ag fields around. Um, so of course, you know, with any, with any field, you know, always, always look in the field edge, but I've found some of the biggest sheds of my life smack dab in the middle of a field. So, uh, you know, always take a ride across that field. And, you know, that's one of those things where it took me a little while to like, well, should I do that? Should I not do that? You know, it's, what's the chance that they're going to be out there? Yeah. There's, they could, they could be out there. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a full set sitting there, right? Smack oh man, the field. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of shocked. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely worth. But the... I think you know one of the biggest tips you know that I could share is is to really just stay you know walk on trails that are easy to walk on. Um, I, mm. when I first started shed hunting, I was I was really like bushwhacking and getting, yeah getting in into the weeds you know and i would come out all scraped up and you know maybe you'd find a shed maybe you wouldn't um but the fact of the matter is that you know regardless of what game animal you're after you know particularly whitetail when we talk about shed hunting you know they're taking the easiest path possible right when right. they walk they're not they're not you know, gonna really slip through that heavy stuff unless they need to, of course. Um, but typically, you know, for shed season, the pressure's off, so they're not they're not really hitting that, you know, part of the property that hard. So, um, you know, they'll just be walking, you know, walking some heavily run, you know, trails and things like that, and it's easy for you to walk through. Um, you know, I just I can't stress enough just to you know just keep your eyes open and walk slowly. I mean, that's it sounds so elementary, right? Like, oh, this is what we're looking for. Let's just like, you know, obviously like keep our eyes open. Right, right. Um, but, you know, I, I've walked with folks before and it's like, man, you're just walking too quick. You got to yeah. just take your time. And, you know, if you're used to looking left to right, you know, look right to left. Right. It, it totally uh, changes what you find in your in your field of view um, when you look the opposite way of what you're used to. So and it'll slow you down a bunch. So, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, take your time, slow down um, if you find one. I, I, when I find one, I immediately stop. I'll pick it up and kind of look at it. Cause I'm, I'm like a little kid when I find one. Right. Um, but I, you know, immediately mark that spot, whether that's on your phone or, or, you know, just, you know, in your, in your, you know, memory, um, and look around. And, and that's when I start to look for that second matching shed. Um, uh -huh. 
a lot of sheds, you know, that I found a lot of matching sets, you know, they'll, they'll be within 15 or 20 yards of one another. Um, some of them will be right next to one another. It, you know, every animal's different. Right. Um, and of course, you know, that's not always the case, you know, too many of the, the great ones that I've found, it's like, where's that second one? And <laughs> yeah, it, maybe it's right there, but you don't see it. Um, so I, I like to do, uh, just like a, a big, you know, circle around, that shed that I had found, uh, because more times than not, you might find that you might find that matching that matching other side that's laying right there. So, because the moment you pick it up and you and you say, "Oh, I'll come back to the spot," you just won't, or you just won't find exactly where you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's. Uh, and I think you bring up another thing that's uh, kind of a reality there too, where when you do find that one big one, you're taking that look at it and. It's it's almost like you're you feel content, you know what I mean? And that's something where where I'm trying to I'm trying to grow as a shed hunter where it's like, no, keep your focus. Don't just get, you know, so locked in on what you already picked up. That other one's gotta be around there somewhere. So yeah, I think that's a good tip to to try and, you know, just just stay optimistic, stay focused and, and careful for that radius you know, 15, 20 yard, maybe 30 yard radius Mm -hmm. around it. So yeah, that's a great tip. And then year after year, you'll find, you know, they'll, you know, some, some deer will just, you know, that's their home range for the shed season. Right. And so you'll find, you know, matching sets in the same zone or, or from the same deer in the same zone as he did last year. Um, I have, I have two matching sets from, from, uh, the same buck and hangs out on a totally different side of the property. But for kind of the wintering season, shed season, he goes to another side. Um, and so I found two sets over the last two years that are, you know, within 400 yards of one another, which is, you know, it's interesting when you start to plot it out, you know, on a map. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think right there, you're starting to talk about the beauty of shed hunting too, where you learn so much about an animal when you're, standing where you know they were standing and they you know in the the cover that they were using or you're observing their their habits that they've had in different times of the year for where they're hanging out you know that's what that's what gives it a lot of hunting value but at the same time it's like you said you're a kid on christmas too you know you just want to find them (laughs) (laughs) yeah it definitely gives you a lot of perspective and i think it makes you appreciate the animal that much more i mean it, it it really grounds you as a hunter it it i think it makes you better as a hunter um it's not just for that you know that trophy of that antler it's like okay let's let's put some more pieces to the puzzle um you know where does this deer live where does he go um you know what 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 did he do from last year to this year as far as you know his rack um it's pretty cool to start comparing them and you really i mean it's it's something that really only a hunter would understand but it's uh you know, it, it's interesting to kind of build that story and build that relationship with that animal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, w- one other thing, you kind of started to get into this a little bit when you, you were talking about how you look for whitetail sheds. But with there being such a diversity in uh, antlered animals in Texas, do people do a lot of other uh, species of I guess you would say species of antler hunting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, axis deer, uh, they're free ranging here in, in a lot of Texas. They're also on a lot of, uh, you know, managed ranches as sure. well. They, 
that's a really cool animal if you hadn't seen those they're they're native uh they're actually native to india they're also free ranging in hawaii um on a couple of the islands there so yeah. if you if you are going to hawaii you might be yes. able to make a vacation trip out of that um i might have i might have done that at one point but <laughs> <laughs> well i gotta My talk to was you. very happy about it but that's okay <laughs> i gotta talk to you about that after we're done recording because that is a bucket list endeavor yeah, why it's a great state to hunt it's a very very different place um and if you're going there on a vacation there's a lot of outfitters that you know you could you could make a you know couple day trip and i actually went uh goat hunting there and uh shot this really awesome billy and it was it was great it was it was perfect so nice uh, yeah very fun place to hunt but yeah going getting back to you know shed hunting in texas um axis deer are so fun to find those sheds they're huge they're you know a, a great size axis is somewhere over the you know 32 33 inch mark wow you could find them 36 inches um yeah big heavy ha- big heavy antlers um they shed kind of throughout the year. Um, oh, and so cool. you'll, you'll, you'll find some sheds throughout the year that are fresh, which is fun. Yeah, um, definitely. Fallow deer, another great antlered animal here in Texas. Um, you know, big, big paddles, you know, kind of somewhere between, you know, a, you know, kind of that palmated moose paddle and a little bit of a caribou kind of look to it. It's sure. not nearly as big. Um, but those, those are awesome antlers to find. Very cool. Yeah, so there's there's all sorts of fun things you pick up when you're walking around here. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect transition to my last little question here with uh, shed hunting in Texas. Um, I have learned uh, through, I think, uh, you know, listening to other podcasts and, and doing a little bit of reading maybe, that um, there's a lot of fossil diversity in Texas. And um, certainly you know, a rich history down there in the Southwest of indigenous people, um, Mm -hmm. here in North America and, uh, uh, you know, some, some really ancient evidence of, of humans here in North America. Have you ever found any other like really interesting relics like that, like a cool fossil or, or I even heard once, uh, this uh, evolutionary biologist doing an interview, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Doug Emlin, I believe is his name. And he talked about how uh, when he, I think he was doing some grad work when he was uh, younger in East Texas, he would like climb up onto, I mean, you get permission of course, but he'd like find a, a rancher that had a water tower or something. And he could climb up on that water tower and like look out on the landscape. And he could, he could like, pick up on like you know mammoth fossil uh beds you know where a mammoth or a few mammoths had had died and he could like see you know what to him looked to be evidence of like a tusk sticking up or a giant femur or something like that you ever come across anything like that I personally, I, we've certainly found, uh, you know, a few arrowheads here and there down in South Texas. Um, I, I know a property, um, up in the hill country, which is kind of central Texas, um, just South of Austin that, uh, gentleman that, that ranches on that and farms on that property, uh, you know, found, um, Buffalo remains, things like that. And come to find out it was, you know, that they had a, they actually had, um, 
a group of a group of folks come down and do a bunch of digging. Oh, um, wow. and, and they basically had a, a you know, a, you hear about these about these things like a buffalo run. Right. Uh-huh, where they, yep. they would run them, you know, kind of funnel them and run them off a cliff. Um, and there were, you know, just like tons of uh, of bones and skulls and all sorts of stuff that they found there. Wow. And I, it's just it's just neat to think about that, you know, and, yeah. and folks that roamed the land before us um you know it's uh, again it's it's pretty grounding as a hunter and an outdoorsman and a you know just nature enthusiast to to sit there and think about that there's there's tons of history right right and uh you know it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier where when you do hunt or in this case shed hunt it just helps you draw that connection to uh to the land that we live on you know and and think about those things okay who who used this before me and then of course that should kind of springboard us into thinking who's going to use it after me and how can i uh you know be a good steward of that resource for the next generation and even generations after that so yeah that's uh that's fascinating to me all that stuff (laughs) i can I, i nerd out on that a lot with uh fossils and you know like you're talking buffalo jumps and stuff i didn't even you know 10 years ago i didn't even know any of that stuff really of course you know of you know mammoths and stuff like that and and uh, other critters that used to wander north america that don't anymore but you know the presence of like buffalo jumps and and you know evidence of ancient humans hunting and stuff never even thought about it but next time i'm heading out west I would like to, uh, you know, take advantage of some of those identified sites and that you can go see. And I think there's some in like Colorado and Montana where you can go and observe some of those buffalo jump sites. But yeah, all that's super, super interesting, but not the main thing that we're here to talk about today or today, which is cooking. So yeah, Mike, cooking is uh, obviously a huge part of how you enjoy hunting and uh the outdoors and and really the the whole package of lifestyle that goes into that how did uh how did you get into cooking was that something like from when you were a kid you were you were always interested in that you know or uh did you have a, a relative that kind of introduced it to you later on maybe your your wife after you got married or uh is, is it just something that you kind of picked up when you went to texas Okay, all you fellow first-gen hunters, veteran hunters, and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into, I'm talking directly to you right now, and this is a personal testimony. You're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, and that is because I am a customer of good old Alex Gruen over at East to West Hunts, and I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a better hunt planning service in the business here is how thorough alex is i'm just going to give you that that first person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you after i get done recording this ad i'm going to use a promo code that alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks on a really nice hunting pack that i've had my eye on for months now and uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday, got it in the mail or something. He said, you know what? I'm going to save this for you. I know you got your eye on this pack. 
he sent it to me. Alex has sent me workout tips. Alex has been there around the clock for all my inquiries on different pieces of gear, from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes, and he's got connections all over the place, so he he knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt, but you can be comfortable, get a good night's sleep, and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip, truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there. And I think that's probably the biggest value in all of this. Alex has so much experience hunting all over North America that when he sends you somewhere, you're not going there blind. No, he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he, either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience, his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com and do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure, though, when you go through and you start checking out all the options, I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the First Gen Hunter Podcast listener code, First Gen 10 at checkout. When you enter that in, you'll get 10% off of any service you purchase through Alex. Again, that's www.alexgruen.com. Use the promo code FIRSTGEN, the number 10, at checkout. Save yourself 10% and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years. Yeah, no, cooking has been a part of my life since I was a little kid. You know, I, I grew up in a, you know, a household in, you know, New York that was, you know, my mother is Italian. My, my dad is Irish and German. So there's all, there's all awesome. sorts of great recipes there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting growing up, you know, in a family like that, you know, my dad, uh, retired New York city fireman. And, uh, so, you know, I grew up in a firehouse for the most part with him That's cool. and, you know, he loved to cook. Right. So I learned to cook with him, you know, a lot of big, big meals, big crowds for all the, all the guys. Um, so yeah, I kind of learned to cook in, in volume there. And then of course, you know, between my, my grandmother and, and my mother, as far as, you know, cooking on the Italian side, you know, it's, uh, you know, a lot of family meals there, a lot of holidays and things like that. So, uh, yeah, cooking has always been a part of my life. Um, you know, and, and as I got into hunting, you know, early as a, you know, as a kid, you know, I was eight years old, you know, I remember, I remember, you know, going out hunting with my dad and my uncle and, you know, come back and skinning that animal and processing that animal. And it was always fascinating to me. And, you know, even, you know, I was kind of on the sidelines at that point, right? Sure. Like, you know, what, what, what can I really do? But besides hack something up, um, <laughs> you know, which they were kind of like, yeah, you could, you could sit to the side. Um, but you know, I, remember, I remember, you know, cooking up that, that backstrap right after we, uh, we, we shot a nice whitetail in New York, you know, and it was like, wow, this is a really cool thing. Um, and it just, uh, I think it just stuck with me from there. And, uh, I've been cooking ever since. I mean, I, I've, you know, wild game has always been a big part of my life. Um, you know, when I was in, uh, when I was in college, you know, I went to hospitality school and, uh, you know, started thinking about, well, how do you, how do you take wild game to a, you know, a more elevated place and do 
fun things with it. You know, sure. I, I kind of grew tired of the same old, you know, let's wrap this in bacon and stuff it with cream cheese, even though there's, of course, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> People are yeah. going to send me <laughs> some hate mail after hearing that. But I do love I do love a good, uh, you know, bacon wrap backstrap. But at the same time, you know, there's there's so much uh, that you could do with wild game. And so. You know, really, it was during college, my college years that I started, you know, experimenting with with cooking techniques and, and uh, you know, you know, kind of just doing different things, doing kind of off the wall things with wild game. And that's it's been it's been fun. You know, that's that's what I uh, have done the last number of years. You know, moving to Texas was even better because I was able to hunt year round and, right. uh, you know, gain access to some exotic exotic uh venison exotic wild game meat here and it's really it's really uh an incredible ingredient if you can get your hands on some sure sure so that you, you really kind of answered my questions there about that i was going to follow up with i was going to ask you know how did which came first the game or the the cooking but it kind of you know really sounds like <laughs> it morphed together at a pretty early age and it's neat to see how you know you're you're uprooting your life from up in that part of the country and, and going down southwest is has a, has morphed it into what it is today which is, is is a really cool thing and a worthy thing you know you talked about kind of dressing up wild game how do you how do you make this how do you elevate this to something of consideration for others which is you know eventually where this conversation is going to going to go here it serves as a good starting point which is you know i've had other food guys on the podcast in the past i've had uh some guys from michigan and minnesota and uh a guy from kentucky who uh didn't you know that wasn't the main point of our conversation then but he definitely gave us some really good insight into uh, how food goes with hunting and, and some of the ways he's enjoyed that but what I kind of asked them, but I kind of want to give it in your own spin here, is do you feel that in the public eye, food has helped legitimize hunting to others? Like, do you feel like it's been part of this, you know, almost a revolution really in the last five to 10 years of how people are are looking at food and then therefore looking at hunting? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I, totally agree i think it's think it's really done a lot for hunting it like take a step back for a minute it's interesting for me the last you know decade or so you know with a lot of folks saying wow you know wild game meat in general is such a healthy thing right so if you think about you know five to seven years ago a lot of folks were like oh wow you know venison is great and it's lean well it's always been lean right yeah right right venison hasn't changed right (laughs) um and so uh like for me it's nice to see wild game on restaurant menus it's nice to see folks not bashing the hunting community as much and it's really nice to see um you know a lot of a lot of people that are you know kind of hesitant with hunting or you know i'm I'm slightly you know i'm I'm interested in in hunting but i don't really you know i don't don't know where to go from there but i really do want to try a piece of venison or you know a piece of elk um it's nice to start to see it kind of morph and come together um i think I think wild game has really brought folks together from 
some polarizing uh, viewpoints um, over the last number of years. And a lot of it was really health related. You know, it's it's yeah. much more healthy than a, than a piece of beef. And don't get me wrong. I, I love my steak. Um, but it's a much different thing, right? It's much, yeah. it's much leaner. It's much healthier, much more healthy for you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed in the last decade and it's great to see. I couldn't be more happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that, that you've noticed that as well. And, and a, even in a probably a deeper sense that I have since, since the food side of it is so, so much a part of your regular life, you know, not that it isn't for me, but, but, uh, you know, you've really, built your life around that we're going to talk about some of the things you have coming up with that here uh shortly but but yeah i i agree i think uh i think food has has helped you know maybe put down some societal (laughs) band-aids for uh how how hunting has been perceived and i think too hunters have maybe gotten a little have wisened up a little bit as far as how they want to be portrayed you know they've kind of seen that okay we can be we can do damage here and how we handle this situation or we can uh, bring people in if we if we uh, handle it a different way you know instead of just being this in your face thing all the time like you can I don't care if you like what I do or not I'm doing it and you can get over it type mentality which you know sometimes sometimes life does demand a bit of that you know, like at the end of the day, you just kind of got to move forward with doing what you do as long as it's legal. But I think maybe being a little bit more, you know, cautious about how we interact with others in that way. And especially now with social media being what it is and how many people can, can be reached with what we've, we've achieved in the field, so to speak, you know, people have, have, I think have wised up and I think food's been a a big part of that. So, Mm -hmm. You know, just as food can be helpful for hunting, I think too. As I've as I've uh, been around the hunting community longer now, um, I think it can also be damaging though too. You know, and so as I was just saying, you know, we've wisened up. I think there's still some <laughs> some room for growth too, uh, uh, and and I think food can sometimes fall within that. Have you ever uh, noticed how? you know, maybe the presentation or uh, maybe the lack of care and preparation or something like that has actually maybe damaged someone's perception on uh, that may have been a fence rider or somebody who maybe even wasn't too sure about eating wild game. And then, and then you oh, saw it go, go the, yeah. the total wrong direction after it was offered to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd, you know, you, you see folks that, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to butcher this, butcher this whitetail and, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's no cleanliness going on and, right. you know, it's, you know, it's warm outside and you're not taking the proper care as far as temperature for meat and things like that. And, right. Yeah. It's easy to turn people off to that. It's easy to turn me off to that. You know, <laughs> right, it's, right. I, I've sat there before where, you know, Hey, we all know that, you know, sometimes hunting doesn't happen on the most ideal day, right? I mean, I've I've shot some deer, you know, during the early bow season back up north, where you know, hey, it's it's seventy five degrees or it's eighty yeah. degrees, um, and you really need to you need to handle that animal quickly, um, and so your your photo session might be, get cut short because you know the, right. at the end of the day, um, 
that does not come first. Um, handling that animal with, you know, as much care and respect um, as you can is is first and foremost, you know, and making sure that the meat doesn't spoil. I mean, that that's to me the worst thing um, that can happen. And, and you know, look, it, it happens. It will happen to us all as hunters at one point or another. You know, maybe, a, you know, a shot wasn't perfect. Um, right. And unfortunately, that, you know, animal you know, laid up overnight and it wasn't cold enough and the meat spoiled and, you know, it's, it's rough on us all. Um, but whenever possible, you know, if you can find that animal and, and save that meat or save part of that meat, I mean, I've, I've done that before, you know, I've, I've was able to, uh, you know, just save, you know, basically half the meat that was, that was laying up right, um, right. because, you know, the ground temperature was, was warmer than the air. Right. right. So, you know, you set, you know, find what you can and, and salvage that and, you know, keep your memory there. But, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, care of meat can definitely turn people off. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you're listening to this, make sure that if you are going to, you know, serve your in-laws or, you know, <laughs> even, even your parents or a sibling or, or something or a coworker, some, uh, you know, venison loin at Christmas, make sure it's all, <laughs> it's, it's going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to, it's not going to be, you know, something that's clearly hasn't been handled well or prepared well, because I think then that you would almost be better off not ever introducing them to, to it. And maybe they'll come across a guy like Mike and, uh, get a, get a good tasting cut of venison loin and that totally changes their <laughs> <laughs> their perspective so yeah i mean if you're gonna gift you know a piece of venison to someone i i always say you know look i mean take the extra time you know take all that silver skin off yep. you know you might you might be giving it to someone that's not used to to venison or not used to hunting and they don't know that and you know and um you know they're they're thinking well maybe this is you know melt like a piece of uh beef fat and <laughs> we all know that it won't right <laughs> right so, right um, you know, it's, uh, you know, take the time to really, um, you know, process that animal well. And, and uh, you know, if you have a, access to a vacuum sealing machine, vacuum seal it, you know, date stamp it, write on what it is, and then give it to someone. And, and I guarantee you that if, if that person isn't used to wild game or hunting, it's a lot less, um, you know, kind of uh, in, intrusive to them or invasive kind of like into their world because it looks like a regular piece of meat, right? Which, right. It, which it is, but it's, uh, you know, to a hunter, it's no big deal, but you give it to, you know, someone that's not used to handling venison or, or wild game, you know, give someone a turkey breast, you know, don't give it to them with a, with a feather on it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Make sure you careful with the hair and everything else too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a all great advice. And I, you know, something I think that gets overlooked, too often and you know another thing too that i think while we're on this topic here that something we need to look at and i've mentioned this before i think sometimes hunters can have this ego of man i harvest my own meat you know this is the way life should be lived well i mean if everybody was going out and only shooting deer uh to to uh <laughs> fill their freezer uh we wouldn't have any deer left that actually happened here in iowa <laughs> that was we had you know we, we joke jokingly call ourselves the whitetail state here in iowa because we're our trophy whitetails but uh you don't have to go back more much more than 100 years ago to a time when there were zero deer left 
in Iowa. We had literally hunted them to, uh, you know, regional extinction. Extirpa- we extirpated them from, uh, from Iowa and actually had to get other states, surrounding states to, uh, donate some deer to rebuild our herd. And, uh, so to have this ego of, if somebody just, they are not into hunting, which not everybody is going to be. And, uh, if you're a public land hunter, that's probably something that, uh, you're probably okay with that. Not every single person likes to go out and hunt <laughs> because we would, <laughs> right. we would run out of space and we would run out of game. And so, uh, um, you know, that's totally fine. If somebody is, is, uh, is sourcing their, their protein from, you know, ag based, uh, sources. That's, that's, that's normal. And that's what keeps these game species around. We, we just could not, we, we, we could not feed everybody that way. So to walk around with, you know, strutting your stuff with that kind of ego, if someone's doing that, you know, that's, that's damaging too, because it's not, it's it's not reflecting that you actually understand how everything works. (laughs) So, Make sure, uh, make sure that we handle it with care too, because it can do a lot of good. Like uh, Mike talked about just a few minutes ago, but um, you know, uh, the the other part of this, and I mentioned this earlier when I talked about the radish situation here in, in my own family. This is something that I've really appreciated specifically about. Uh, what you've done because I, you know, you follow other people that do similar things that, that are really big into, you know, uh, preparation of wild game. The, the meat so often is just, is just the, the hard focus, you know, look at this steak, look at this roast, look at this, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. That's obviously that, that, that makes sense. That's what, what they're doing, right? They're, they're showing that off, but then there's not much else that goes with that. And that's where I think you kind of shine in your posts. You show these other things that you feature with, uh, the dish that you're, you're, you're preparing. And, um, you know, is that something that you've intentionally like viewed as being important? You know, when, when you're, when you're showing something off, you also want to, you know, focus in on the the vegetable or, or fruit or dairy or poultry or whatever. Is that, is that something that you've consciously tried to do? Yeah. You know, it, you, you worded it really well, right? So it's like, regardless of what you're preparing, whether it's beef or bison or venison or turkey or a ham, right? It's like, well, there's the meat. Okay. There's, there's the glaze that goes over the ham or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I think so often we forget about the items and ingredients around that Yes. One ingredient that really enhances it. And so, you know, whether it's roasted radishes or awesome mushrooms, you know, these are things that go along with that main ingredient, right? That main roast or backstrap or, you know, ribeye, whatever you're you're cooking. Um, And and it it brings it to life, right? So it's part of the story. And I think that often gets overlooked. Um, I think, uh, you know, that's just as important as the main ingredient. Um, and, and a lot of us are always looking at, you know, let's look at the, the big steak. Well, okay. But what's, what's around it? What's going on there? Right. So what's the, what's the whole dish or, or what's the side dish that helps bring it to life? Um, that's, yeah, that's to me, one of the most rewarding things about cooking, you know, is, is, you know, 
taking one particular ingredient and combining it with others and, and enhancing it and, and making the whole thing shine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you, and you do well with that. And, you know, I think too, there, you know, we're talking here about opportunities of, of, uh, of, uh, Nick Otto from uh, the Huntivore was a, a guy. He's from Michigan that I interviewed that that does a lot of uh, culinary stuff with wild game and and uh, I can't remember the exact phrase he he said, but I think it was like like tabletop diplomacy or something like that. You know where you're you're using food to uh, to help uh, uh, you know reach people with hunting, and I think that we can achieve something else that doesn't really have anything to do with hunting, you know, directly, indirectly. Sure. Uh, Cause it has to do with land use. But um, when we focus on some of those other things too, we just as we can draw a connection to the land through going out and picking up sheds or going out and, and, and uh, you know, bow hunting or, or whatever, we can draw a connection to a you know, probably a little bit better way of doing things that some of our, you know, ancestors had figured out in eating first, you know, cleanly, right. Getting, getting Mm -hmm. food that that's raised in as natural of a way as possible, I think is probably, uh, you know, and there's there, I'm walking a fine line here of getting booed, but, uh, (laughs) you know, there's, there's, we obviously have to do, certain ag practices in order to feed 8 billion people on this planet. You know, there's no doubt about it. You can't just, you know, it's like the apple tree in my backyard. My, my, my grandparents are like, Oh, sorry, we didn't spray the apples this year. You know, so a lot of them are wormy. And, Mm -hmm. and, and uh, I was like, Oh, that's okay. We don't need to spray it, spray it. But then it's, you're starting to think about, it's like, well, they bring up a good point, you know, it's fine for just a family of now five people, uh, to, to only get a few apples off that apple tree. But if we're going to keep all of these people on our, on our planet fed, we got to get the majority of those apples off that apple tree. And so there's, there's certainly, there's room for ag practice that makes sure that the majority of the, of the crop is there for profit for the person taking care of it, whether that be livestock or whether that be, be crops. And, and um, so, you know, hear me out on that. I understand that, but also maybe we, we start to treat biological material that goes into our bodies too much like a piece of technology, (laughs) you know, and, and, uh, sometimes it's better to, to try and see how can we make this more like it was for our ancestors. And, and so I think when you feature other things, you know, vegetables or even other meats like, like, uh, or, or, or animal based products like, like poultry, you know, or fish along with our game that we try and, and find, you know, those sources that where people are, are raising those things in that way and rewarding them for it, you know, by giving them our business, maybe spending a little bit extra money on it is worth it. I think. Yeah, most and, definitely. And, and also the side that goes kind of hand in hand with that is the local aspect of it too. You know, as uh, uh, we look at, at, you know, we kind of joke about, and I'm, I'm getting pretty preachy here. I know it, <laughs> but we, we, kind of, we kind of joked about it earlier in the show, you know, some of these crazy weather events, not that crazy weather events haven't happened in the world's history, but 
they just seem to be happening with with greater frequency and and you know could part of that be some of the way that we have just streamlined the way we have set up our food chain you know to where all corn comes from Iowa all tomatoes come from you know this state all uh, uh citrus comes from this state and certainly Iowa's set up to grow corn California's set up to grow tomatoes Florida's set up to grow oranges but maybe if we could encourage some of these local farmers a little bit that are trying to add as much diversity as they can with what their farm is set up to handle you know i think we if we by featuring those things like like mike has done in his dishes we can almost convey that message too of like hey let's uh let's try and you know really be not just about efficiency but also about quality and what we're you know and what we're putting forward here and you know what's going to be the most nutrient dense food that we can have what's going to be the what's going to be the best for the earth that it's coming out of is it good to maybe have more crop cycling that goes on or maybe some more not totally necessarily but maybe more organic practices that go on or more more free range or or you know grass fed whatever you want to whatever adjective that you want to put on it is there room for for more of that in some places and you know i think when we as hunters really say that we value the land when we start to look for ways like that we can have some more of that diplomacy involved but also understanding that you know we have eight billion people we got to feed and farmers got to make money and they got to do what makes sense for their their families too and and the, the value the incredibly valuable role that they they play uh here in america but anyways it's kind of my soapbox sorry mike no i i totally agree with you though. i mean it's you know yes we have to do things in in a large scale right and we have to feed you know feed our continent and feed the world and and uh you know there's there are ways to do that but i think you know keeping you know kind of a a, a watchful eye on you know where you source your ingredients from and and keeping that top of mind is so important um as you as you feed your family you know and yourself especially as a hunter right like we're we're you know, always striving to be the best stewards of the land. Well, you know, one of the best ways that you could do that too is supporting your local farmer's market. Yeah. I've made some of, you know, the, the best friends that I've had, um, you know, through different um, stands at our local farmer's market, right? It's, right. Uh, you know, just meeting incredible people that are just as enthusiastic and as driven as we as hunters are uh, in their own art and their own craft. Um, and and that is, uh, you know, when you pair it with wild game, you know, and you start talking to folks about, you know, hey, those radishes or these mushrooms, right? Like it's, 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 it's great to talk to. Right local farmers uh that are so interested in not only what we do as hunters um but as you know as a farmer how can they help and how can they um you know really enhance what we're we're cooking as a main ingredient and so um yeah i mean i i couldn't strive enough just to you know connect with folks locally and support your local farmers support uh you know farmers markets and and local local places like that uh you know local 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 supermarkets even the you know, same thing right i mean it's you know a, a tomato that's grown locally is going to taste 
like a tomato should, not uh, not one that's flown in from somewhere else. And no, it's amazing to be able to get produce, you know, year round from wherever, um, you know, eating and cooking with seasonal ingredients is so much more rewarding. Um, and, and the flavor is just tremendous. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, very, very well said. And I like how you tied that back to hunting too, you know, uh, here in Iowa, every, almost every year, I shouldn't say every year, but a lot. Anyways, I see a post where someone complains about, Oh, pheasant numbers are down this year. You know, uh, they're, farmers are tilling so much more ground well how about we make it make sense for them that they don't have to till so much ground you know where Mm -hmm. where uh they can be rewarded for for uh you know maybe being able to sacrifice a few more of their acres for crp or lay aside acres you know because they're making so much money on on uh you know the the best parts of their ground you know a, a, a mantra that that um i've heard from a couple different uh organizations you know to to help farmers why don't we help them in in it financially by it making sense to farm the best and leave the rest you know and then there is more habitat for hunting and there's there are greater numbers of of uh the game species that we like to chase after but but if uh you know, we set things up so that it only makes sense for them to, to have to, you know, till every square inch of what they owe so that they can, you know, they can a- afford to, to, to live. Well, then that's, that's not, <laughs> we're not helping things, I guess is what I'm saying. So doing what Mike said and, and rewarding at a local level and keeping those dollars here, you know, where you're at, that, that helps with that. So, and then, you know, being, paying attention to to what's going on at a federal and state level too as far as legislation goes for some of the programs like the the farm bill whenever that that rolls out again you know write to your your uh, representatives and and uh you know make sure that your voice is heard and that it, that it makes sense so man got a little preachy here we need to we need to change the subject for uh we get a whole bunch of hate mail but but uh no uh obviously uh mike and i and I'm, i probably shouldn't speak for mike here but just from getting to know him here in this time um we care a lot about this land and we care a lot about about uh the wild places and and the game that's on it and uh um that's that's where this this uh conversation stems from not not from some kind of i don't know selfish uh paid sponsorship or something <laughs> oh, definitely farming and hunting they go hand in hand absolutely great way to sum that up well hey you got some cool things coming up and um you know i kind of want to wrap in uh, some other questions i had here too with how this this uh, factors into it but uh um you have a catering service that's coming up uh and and you described it as a live fire catering service can you kind of explain what what that means it is, yeah. So uh, business is Roaming Fire, which is a catering company based here in Central Texas. Um, live fire cooking, um, you know, whether you think of your campfire or you're used to, uh, you know, South American cooking practices with, uh, you know, gaucho grills and, um, you know, Santa Maria grills and such. You know, it's, uh, it's a great way to cook. Um, I've always been big fan of you know anything that's cooked over fire just tastes better right i mean it's whether you're at camp and those are the memories that you're that you're experiencing you know about a backstrap that you just that you just you know 
took off an animal or, you know, camping in the middle of the woods on a, on a kayak trip or, you know, something like that. Right. It's, right. Right. Campfire meals are always better. So, uh, yeah. So roaming fire is, uh, it's a 15 foot, um, barbecue rig equipped with two different grills. They're both live fire. So we'll, uh, burn down post Oak. We'll burn down mesquite. Um, and we have the ability to cook just about anything there, uh, really utilizing all types of, uh, or all stages of the fire, I should say. So, you know, fire is a very unique cooking fuel. Um, you mm-hmm. could, you could burn real hot, you could, you know, sear, then you can go all the way down to, you know, kind of glowing embers, right. And you could stick your potatoes in there and, and roast them like that. So, um, yeah, the thought for this really came up just from, uh, you know, like how do I, how do I, you know, really, push wild game meals, um, to folks that, you know, aren't, you know, used to ordering that or, or don't have access to that. Um, and so there's some wild game on the menu. It's not all wild game. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of the, the goal for me is, you know, give folks access to some different ingredients that they might not usually have access to, even though you start to see a little bit more venison, um, and wild game on some menus. And so, uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, menu really, you know, spans from, uh, you know, ribeyes and whole chickens that we could suspend over, uh, you know, a a fire to, uh, you know, a whole hog. Um, there's, there's all sorts of cool stuff that, that, uh, we do. So, um, yeah, so rolling that out soon and, uh, that'll be literally rolling that out because it's a trailer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's, uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, that that sounds exciting. I, w- I want to come uh, grab a bite, man. That sounds that sounds great. Now, there's a question in there that uh, I have for you, and I imagine a few listeners uh, have as well. You know, they might be saying, "Wait, wait, 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 wait a minute." You said wild game, and you're selling it. How is that legal? You know, I thought you can't shoot a deer and go out and then and sell that. Can you kind of explain how that works? Uh, yeah. For for uh, and you, and you even mentioned that you, you, this is showing up on on menus other places, and I have heard that myself too before you even mm-hmm. you mentioned that. So can you kind of explain how that that works out? Yeah, there's just a few different ways. Um, by no means uh, is anything on my menu anything that I have harvested myself. Uh, it's right. all it's all purchased uh, through local purveyors um, that are you know um, handling everything with you know necessary food safety practices, and they're also under government inspection. So um, there are folks. If you look, you can even buy wild game online. There's a few websites. Uh, if you just you know Google different wild game, um, you know, purveyors that'll ship directly to residential, uh, you know, your home or your apartment. There are plenty of places that are doing it now. And some of that is because it's farmed. Um, and that's, you know, you might see some of that on, uh, on a restaurant menu. Uh, there are other places that actually will go out, um, and harvest, you know, in the wild and then bring it back to their facility, which is under, you know, a, uh, you know, government inspection. Um, and uh, you know, that therefore it's, it's completely uh, legal to purchase and legal for sale. So, um, there's a lot of options out there. I also think, you know, the, the really cool thing about that is that it gives folks, the opportunity to taste different wild game. Um, you know, you might not be an elk hunter, but you can go out and you could buy 
elk shanks or an elk backstrap or, you know, yeah. you could go buy yourself a bison roast or something, something that you might not have a freezer full of. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to experience a different ingredient. And, you know, you may like it. You may not like it. You may think, you know what? I don't really, I don't really care for this, and I don't want to go hunt right. it, right? So instead of, you know, harvesting an animal and having a freezer full of something that you don't want, um, you could, you can kind of experiment with different things. So, they're from alligator to elk. You could, you could, you know, buy all sorts of things legally, totally legal. Yep, yep. Good, uh, good to hear that. And I'm sure a lot of people were, were kind of wondering about that for a second. But it's good to know that, that that's the explanation behind it. And uh, like you said, great opportunity for people to maybe start uh, getting some uh, ideas to go out and harvest one of these critters themselves after getting a taste. So, yeah, very, very cool. Roaming fire. So be looking out for that. And uh, you know, along with that, Mike. What can see? So you, you talked a little bit about how the live fire aspect works, and you mentioned barbecue. So I assume is barbecue kind of your signature flavor? Is that is that kind of what folks who are looking to go eat at Roaming Fire are? Is that is that what they can expect from you? Yeah. So we're uh, you know a lot of roasted uh, pieces of meat, a lot of you know a lot of steaks, things like that, larger cuts. Um, but it's not all it's not all grilled, uh, and it's, it's not all smoked by sure. any means. Uh, I think some of the best things you know are are you know stewed in Dutch ovens, right? And so um, you know whether it's elk shanks or a large roast or something like that, you know we'll we'll use a, a really large Dutch oven and put put uh, you know coals around that on top of it and, and let that cook down for a few hours. So, uh, you know, again, it's, it, I say barbecue, but I kind of use the term loosely because it's, it's really all about just using all the varying stages of a fire. Um, sure. and so, you know, on, on one side of the grill, you know, I could really, you know, I could, I could roast, you know, a ribeye right, you know, at, you know, 600 degrees without a problem. And on the other side, you know, I could kind of have a, a, you know, a coal bed going with, uh, you know, yams and, and potatoes and, you know, carrots and things like that. And you, and you really build a ton of flavor through this cooking method. Um, and there, are, you know, it, it's amazing what fire and smoke will do to ingredients. It's a, it's a pretty rustic way of cooking. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty primitive and, and it's, you know, in the, in the way that that you respect the fire and you cook with it, um, sure. you know, it's, it's much different than using just you know your frying pan on a on a gas burner. Um, but I love the relationship between the food and the fire. I mean, it's just it creates just there's so much more uh, flavor and and levels of complexity that the, to the food that you're cooking. Um, it, it's a, and it's a lot of fun too. Yeah, yeah, I I love that. That's uh. That's that's really a, an awesome way to to describe it and a, a great thing for people to look forward to. And, uh, you know, another way to, as, as Mike has said many times in the show, just really show off what, and I think you even used the word earlier, elevate, elevate uh, in people's minds what wild game capabilities have in the kitchen. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for people in Central Texas, and it makes me uh, even more anxious now to get down there myself. Well, we got to uh, get you down here. That's right, man. <laughs> do a little shed hunting, do a little uh, live fire uh, culinary Absolutely. experience, and yeah. uh, uh, maybe even uh, talk to you some more about uh, how to get over to Hawaii and do a little access to your hunting. <laughs> <laughs> 
plan a family vacation and then plan around it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. That's what, that's what I, that's what I'm trying to convince my wife of. And I think I'm like 40% of the way there. So maybe in a few years, you know, maybe, a, maybe another hard winter, if we get one here anytime soon, she'll be, she'll be interested in going to Hawaii or something, but no, that all, that all sounds great. And we're excited to see also what, what transpires from this year's shed season. So uh, make sure you're, uh, you're posting uh, what you find and uh, you know, uh, hopefully you find good evidence that the uh, giant buck that vanished um, maybe you'll find his sheds this year. That would be awesome. And uh, get confirmation that he's still up and around. Trust me. If I, if I find, uh, if I find those sheds laying around that they will be, uh, they will be online and I will be jumping up and down <laughs> like a kid on Christmas morning. So <laughs> y'all will definitely know if I find them. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I really hope you do. I hope there's a, there's a good ending to that story and, and an ending that, that, uh, has a nice grip and grin, uh, with, uh, you and that buck and your bow, uh, maybe next hunting season. So we'll, we'll see. We look forward to, to good things though, coming there, coming from out of Central. Texas uh, from uh, our good buddy here, Mike Reber. Now, Mike, how can people uh, follow you on online to catch a glimpse of all this? Sure. So uh, Instagram, I'm uh, my main page is at Mike Reber, R-E-E-B-E-R. And Roaming Fire is actually at Roaming Fire Food on Instagram. So just getting off the ground. If you're uh, the website is live, so if you want to take a look at uh, at the kind of sample menu that I'm working on there, it's roamingfire.co. Very good, roamingfire.co. And that's uh, yeah, again, just a you know kind of seasonal approach to cooking here in in Texas with a little wild game flair. So uh, that'll change as as different ingredients you know come in and out of season, but. Uh, if you're in Central Texas, you're in South Texas. Give me a call. It's uh, it'll be a lot of fun to to get that uh, that barbecue rig up and running. Yeah, for sure. And I will post all those links in the show notes on this episode, so uh, you can always find those just by, you know, whatever whatever uh, the show notes make it into whatever hosting site you're listening in from. So, you know, Spotify or, or Apple podcasts or Google podcasts, iHeart, whatever, just scroll down. You'll see those links there. And, uh, the, the Instagram ones just give you the, the tag that you can, uh, find, you know, look people up at, but like websites and stuff, I, I hyperlink those. So you can just click on those and it'll take you right there. So make sure you do that and, uh, make sure you don't forget about good old Brandon who, uh, is, I assume, you know, working hard there at the dental office in uh, Delaware and, uh, you know, putting together a late season game plan here for whitetails out that way and uh, head over to uh, thehuntfishlife.com to check in on him and, and get on their social media pages and, and, and see what they're up to. I'm going to be talking to uh, him and Alex Gruen very soon uh, to do another episode of Hunt Therapy. And we got an interesting conversation coming up with that. Might be a little too preachy, two episodes in a row. Sorry. Sorry. No, we, uh, as I said earlier, we talk to this stuff to, we talk about this stuff to you cause it's important to us and, uh, um, you know, hope that maybe you, uh, give it a thought or two as you go through and, uh, make sure too, that you head over to alexgruen.com. Don't forget the promo code for Shen 10, get yourself some big money off of a hunt plan. We had a podcast listener just do so uh, just within the last uh, week and a half here. They're on the, they got Alex on the case tracking down their 
dream hunt for them. And I'm still, yes, texting Alex pretty much every day about gear as I'm building up my Western black bear hunt with Alex coming up here in uh, about six months now. You know, it's getting serious. So make sure you head over there, check them out, and then get over to firstgenhunter.com and see everything that I got going on there. We love you. We hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you have a great start to your new year. And until next time, people, take care and take someone hunting.